Now, in most, of the, in most Bible translations, actually, that is a paragraph above at the end of the previous section. And the question to be asked, is that the right place? Because it sure seems like that Paul says here, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, therefore, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. Because that's what he says next. And then he says, children, obey your parents. And parents, don't exacerbate your children. There's a rhythm to it. That it gets broken if we take, if we take it out of context and out of place. And we put beginnings where they don't begin and endings where beginnings should be. You understand the significance of that? All the girls are like, yeah, the guys are like, I don't know. Right? Here's another good example, right? You're reading through your Bible. You're just kind of going along. You're saying, God, what do you want from me today? Um, what, uh, what should I be reading from your word? I'm just going to open it up. I'm going to trust that whatever it is that you have for me, I'm going to find, and I'm going to flip to Philippians, or 1 Corinthians. Okay, we're in the New Testament. This is good. Um, and then, oh, I see something in my Bible that kind of stands out. It says this, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. How do I apply that to my life? Well, there's one very specific literal way, right? All right, let's go. But again, I would make the case for understanding. And if we were to read that whole section, we'd, fall, we'd find that Paul is talking all about the resurrection of Christ. And he's making a wager, and he's putting it out to the Corinthians in this letter. He says, if the dead are not raised, then... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, because the whole thing's a wash if they're dead or not raised. Now, that's very different than taking that as just some prophetic utterance that, okay, that's it, tomorrow's death, and we're just going to eat and drink today. See? Technical features make a difference. Beginnings and endings make a big difference. Another thing you want to pay attention to as you read through is movement. Conceptually, and movement geographically. When we go from place to place, those things have significance. And then identifying words or phrases that you don't expect. Oops. Yeah, words or phrases that you don't expect. I was in a group not too long ago and somebody just said, I have no idea what a Pharisee or a Sadducee is. What, what's the difference between the two? That'd be something worth looking up, right? Finding out what the difference is. Those are the kind of things you do if you read with process and you read with discipline. Then you want to think about what kind of literature you're reading, right? The Bible is God's word, and it is an amazing gift. And while all scripture is God-breathed, it is written down by different people from different places, and the Spirit is the one that forged them all together like different pieces of metal from different places that are all forged into one sword. All the Old Testament men and women who are in God's word, they are prophets, when they speak to us. And all the men and women who write to us from the New Testament, they are prophets. But they do it from a point of reference. And they do it for a specific audience. And so for us, we see that these things all fit together like a sword that's been sword, uh, for, excuse me, a sword that's been forged by many metals. But we have to see how they fit together. Right? And not every part is the same as the other parts. Because some parts are law and gospel, right? They're mirrors of each other, like two edges of a sword, but reading Old Testament story, law, and New Testament story, they're similar, and we ought to know that when we're reading 
those things, they're not the same as reading Paul's letters. They're different. They have a different purpose, right? The history of Israel and the history of the church, right? They're similar. They carry a similar purpose, but they're different from other parts. The prophets and the letters, they have a similar function, but they don't act the same. The prophets are very poetic, and you can almost imagine them being set to music. The Paul's letters, Peter's letters, they're not that way. They have a similar function in terms of teaching us how to live, but they're not the same. And then the stuff about the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ, Revelation and some of the lighter prophets. We treat them with care and we treat them with respect when we treat them for what they are, right? When we open up our, our Bible and just look for something um, and we treat all of the scriptures like it's a proverb or like it's a psalm, we don't treat it with respect. It's meant to be read as a unit, as a whole, right? We don't read any other book that way. You just flip through the pages and say, oh, this is what it means. No, no. We treat it for what it is. And when we do that, it, becomes, it comes alive to us and we understand it in new and fresh ways. The Psalms and the Proverbs are the, the last piece and actually those function the same in the Old and the New Testament. Next thing you want to look at is the environment. Who are the actors and what are their names? Why does God change Abram's name to Abraham? You ever ask that question? What's the significance of that? It just happens. What is he trying to teach Abram when he says, no longer will your name be Abram, it will now be Abraham because you will be the father of many. When Abraham's sitting there with nothing. Here's another one. You ask, who are the characters and what's happening? Where is this happening? What's the context? Right? Ruth 1.1 says, in the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Seems clear, very straightforward, this is what happens, right? But, well, who are the judges? And when did they rule? And why does the author tell us that? Where's Bethlehem exactly? you do a little bit more you do a little bit more disciplined reading you pay attention to the names of places the significance of where they are and what it means and you come to find out that Bethlehem is is a Hebrew word right the name of the town is Bethlehem the house of bread it's problematic would you not agree that there's a famine in the house of bread of all places on earth there shouldn't be a famine the house of bread this is a problem that the writer's drawing our attention to. And if we were Old Testament Hebrews, we'd get it. It would make perfect sense. But we have to do a little bit more disciplined work to find that out, to pay attention to where things are happening, to the names of places and what they mean. And then we have a geographical move because we moved out of Judah, out of the territory of God's blessing, and we moved into Moab. Moab is the last place anyone from Israel should ever be. Things are so bad in Israel when we start the book of Ruth that, they have to, that this guy and his family have to leave the land of blessing and go to the land of a curse. That's how bad it's gotten. 
We get all that from one verse when we pay attention to where this is happening and to who these people are. You want to ask the question when this is happening, right? This is during the, the time of the judges. We just learned that. And why is it happening? That's the key question. Why is this going on right now? Again, if you read Ruth just 1-1, you have to read back then. This is not easy. Then you've got to go back and ask, what was going on in the judges? That was so bad. And you come to find that in the days the judges ruled, Israel had no king. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And that had all kinds of implications. Right? So we've done some work. We spent some time making some observations. We look at this, uh, the style of the writing. We look at some of those technical features. We look at the environment in which the writing is happening. And then we're ready to start making some interpretations. Why is this here? How does it fit into the bigger story that God is writing? And what other scriptures speak to this? That's when you start flipping through your Bible and saying, this sounds like. I remember somewhere it said, right, that's the time to start doing that. Because that can be a really fruitful activity. And what, is this, what did this mean when it was written down? And after we spent some time working on those and making some, um, some judgments about that, then we can move on to application and asking, what have other people said about this? And they're really the heart of the matter, right? How does this relate to my life? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to love? Because ultimately, this is where we want to be, right? We want to be changed. We want to become the people we're made to be in Jesus Christ. This is the weapon that God has forged for us to fight in the battle. It is the sword of the Spirit, the equipment to become. And we have this instrument forged by the Spirit, given us so that we can be who we're made to be. The Spirit that lives in us is the same Spirit that forged this Word. They have a coherent message, it fits together, it's not conflicted. And that's really important because when our spirits are hearing lots of other messages, lots of other words, we can start to wonder, does this really fit? Is this really powerful? So when we start to hear all those other messages, when we have this message inside of us, when we know it, when we spend time in a disciplined way learning what it means and how to live it, when voices inside of us say, God, you're such a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. We know that is not something God would say. No, God says, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the full. When the voices around us, all those other words come at us and they say, you're never going to amount to anything. If anyone knew who you really were, nobody would love you. We know that's not God. God wouldn't say something like that. God says, I am convinced 
that neither life or death, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not any other powers in all of creation, not the heights and not the depths, nothing will ever separate you from my love in Jesus Christ. So that's what God says. So here's my pitch. My 100% money back guarantee. If you will practice the reading of God's word in a disciplined way, if you use this process, thanks be to God. If you use a different process, thanks be to God. In a disciplined way, you will begin to be changed. Don't hear me telling you, go home and read your Bible for an hour every day, and that's the only way you're going to become who you want to be in Christ, who you're made to be. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Hear me say this to you, though. If you will commit one hour a week, one hour to the disciplined practice of reading God's Word, you will begin to be transformed. I have no doubt about this. Even if you don't want to, Even if you think this is just silly, it's too much work, it feels like school, why would I want to do more studying? If you'll commit one hour and put a process of learning God's word into practice, you'll begin to be transformed. You can do this by reading one of God's shorter letters. Third John, it's a wonderful letter actually. The book of Ephesians. If you're in a small group, just read the story that you're going to be studying this week. Don't add more work to your life. Read the story that you're going to be studying this week in your small group and apply this process to it. And God's word is going to come alive in ways that you hadn't seen before. And his spirit is going to awaken and use new things. We know this because we know that God, the word of God is alive and it is active It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul from spirit, joint from marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is the instrument of grace for us to become who we're made to be. His Spirit's alive in us. And His Spirit instructs us. And if we will sit at His feet and learn from Him, and ask him questions and say, what does this mean? He will transform us and we will become the people we're made to be. Let's pray together. Lord and our God, this is a very um, hearty, hearty word that you have for us this morning. It is a challenge to us in the face of all of the words that come at us to hear your word above it all. And it is a challenge to us to practice a discipline when so much of our life is already structured by class and reading and learning. We give that to you. We pray for awakenings. God, for our friends that are here this morning that find themselves using words to describe them like dry, rut, shallow. We pray for water onto the ground and we pray for a push out of the rut and we pray for a deluge of your spirit 
so that what is shallow will become full. We are your people. And we want to become the people, the individuals, and the community that you have made us to be. And so we pray, by the power of your Spirit, transform us. Make us the people we have created to be. We ask that in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ and that it would be done by the power of your Spirit at work in us. And all God's people say together, Amen.